What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Penn Entertainment shocked the sports world yesterday, announcing they were dumping Dave Portnoy and Barstool Sports to sign a $2 billion licensing deal with ESPN. This new deal will allow Penn to launch a new sports book in the U.S. this fall called ESPN Bet. And in return, it gives Dave Portnoy 100% ownership of his company for pennies on the dollar. So today's podcast will break down everything you need to know about the deal, including my early reaction on how this plays out for all parties involved. Let's get right to it. Okay, so the easiest place to start is with just a straight overview of what this deal entails. So this was announced yesterday after market close at 4 p.m. in the United States. And essentially what happened was Penn ditched Barstool and signed a deal with ESPN to open a sports book. So Penn has secured, this is straight from the press release, they have secured exclusive rights to ESPN bet trademark for online sports betting in the U.S. for an initial 10-year term, which may be extended for an additional 10 years upon mutual agreement. They're also going to be allowed exclusive promotional services across ESPN platforms, including programming, content, and access to ESPN talent. And in return, they're going to make a $1.5 billion cash payment to ESPN over 10 years. And they're also going to grant ESPN approximately $500 million of warrants to purchase Penn Common shares that will vest over those 10 years. So again, in simple terms, what they're doing is they're partnering with ESPN, they're licensing the ESPN brand and the name, and they're launching a new sports book called ESPN Bet in the United States this fall. They'll go live in 16 states. They're paying ESPN $1.5 billion in cash over 10 years for the right to use their name and, and the access to their programming, et cetera. They're also giving them $500 million in warrants coming out to $2 billion over 10 years, so about $200 million per year to use the ESPN name to get access to their channels, their distribution, everything like that. Now, the awkward phase of this is that they've been working with Barstool. You might say, hey, didn't they just acquire Barstool? They paid $550 million for Barstool over three separate transactions over the last three to four years. Yep, you're right. They absolutely did. But that is no longer, that is changing. That is because the Barstool Sportsbook, which is co-branded with Barstool Sports right now, is changing. They're changing the name to ESPN Bet, and they are ending their partnership with Barstool. Now, the way this is going to work, and this is carefully worded in the announcement, is that they are giving, or Dave Portnoy is buying, 100% of the business back from Penn. We'll get to that in a second, why that's important. But let's start with my first point on this, which is the Barstool and the Penn deal, it wasn't working as advertised. And this deal here specifically creates a win-win situation for both Barstool and Penn. Now, many people were super excited, including myself, when Penn agreed to acquire Barstool in the first place. It wasn't because I was like some diehard stoolie and I loved Barstool. I just thought it was a really unique partnership and it was going to drive a lot of value for Penn. The idea was that in a world where FanDuel and DraftKings were spending billions of dollars annually, annually on marketing, Barstool's audience, owned by Penn at this point, was going to help them drastically reduce customer acquisition costs, right? So you're going to be able to beat the Giants, the FanDuel's, the DraftKings at their own game by instead of going out and renting billboards, doing commercials, doing activations, partnering with the leagues, whatever. You're going to own this audience and you're drastically going to reduce the customer acquisition costs because your marketers are Dave Portnoy, they're Big Cat, they're PFT, right? Like 
those are your people that are going out and marketing the service every single day to an audience that you own. That was, that was the thought, right? But it didn't work. It didn't work. And let me explain. Penn, they now just own a fraction of the overall market. I think it was like 5% last time I checked of the overall sports betting market in, in states that they're active. And if you look on a per state basis, like Illinois is a good example. Penn is seventh in Illinois in a market share. They own 3.7% of the market. FanDuel has 43%. DraftKings has 31%. And Penn is seventh in that market, right? And then when you add in all of the headaches that Barstool has caused with regulators, this partnership was doomed, right? We've already seen that Barstool was sued for the, uh, the, the can't lose parlay, right? Where they said no one in their right mind would believe that you can't lose this parlay. <laughs> and we all know how this works, right? The parlays are super profitable endeavors for all of these sportsbook. Barstool was pushing it. Pat McAfee was pushing it. Same game parlay specifically. And this is not anything new. But regulators were taking an especially close look at Barstool for some of the things that they've done in different states, for some of the problems that have come up over time. And so, so when you add that in, with the fact that the marketing strategy wasn't really working, and then they had to babysit the brand for, from a regulatory prospect so they don't get in any trouble, it was doomed and it wasn't going to work. So this is where ESPN comes in. The Disney-owned network is late to the sports betting game. They don't have anything going on in the sports betting space. They totally missed the ball. So now they go out, and they don't want to build their own book. They think it's too late. It's going to cost too much money. They're not prepared to do that. They're already losing a bunch of money on streaming, et cetera. So they go out and they license their name. They know they're the number one sports provider in the United States. They're massive. They have thousands of employees. They have sports rights. They have distribution. They have all of that. So they're going to go license their name. So they sign a deal to get some cash into the brand, essentially $200 million per year if you want to count the, the stock too. But even on a cash basis, it's $150 million per year just to license the name. So now they go partner with Penn. And this is great for Penn because the reason why this is great is because you're not changing the overall strategy right? The strategy is still to partner with a media partner, a publication, whatever you want to call it, to reduce customer acquisition cost. But the thing they're changing is the actual partner. They're changing Barstool per ESPN. And you may say, okay, that's a lot of money, $2 billion. But this is marketing, right? This is how this works. If you look at DraftKings, if you look at FanDuel, if you want to be a significant player in this space, you need to be spending a lot of money on marketing. And I would argue that this is actually relatively cheap for a brand like ESPN. If you look at ESPN today compared to someone like Barstool, ESPN in the press release said they're getting over 105 million, 105 million unique visitors monthly digitally, 105 million. Barstool is less than 10 million, right? If you look on Google Trends, if you compare them in basically any way virtually possible, Barstool, hate them or love them, is not even on the same radar as ESPN. ESPN is massive. They are global. They have 370 million followers across social platforms. They have 25 million ESPN Plus subscribers, and they have the number one fantasy database in the world. Sports fantasy database, ESPN has the number one in the world. They also have all of the rights. So if you think about you know, the NFL, college sports, whatever it is, NBA, they have the rights to these sports. People are watching them pregame. They're watching them postgame. They're watching them during the game. The opportunity to integrate odds and sportsbook promotions into the broadcast themselves is immense. There's going to be millions of viewers and millions of eyeballs on these broadcasts. Sports are obviously super unique in that regard, and Penn is going to be using that to their advantage. The other thing to think about here too is the market agrees, right? We've already seen this today. Right after 4 p.m., I think the stock was up about 30%, 27%, which would add about a billion dollars of market cap to Penn. $1 billion. $1 billion it would add. Now, the stock has gone down a little bit since, and we'll see where it opens up tomorrow morning when you're listening to this podcast. 
But even if it's up 10% or 20%, that's a huge, huge jump. And it indicates that the market is excited about the promise of dumping Barstool Sports for ESPN. But I don't want to get hung up too much on this because it's also a great deal for Barstool and Dave Portnoy. And I'll explain for this. So in the press release, there's an example here, uh, a little excerpt that I want to read to you. It says, Penn sold 100% of the Barstool Sports common stock to David Portnoy in exchange for certain non-compete and other restrictive covenants. Penn also has the right to receive 50% of the gross proceeds received by David Portnoy in any subsequent sale or other monetization event of Barstool. Now, let me read that one more time. I know it's probably a little bit tiresome at this point, but it's an important sentence or two. Penn sold 100% of the Barstool Sports common stock to David Portnoy in exchange for certain non-compete and other restrictive covenants. Penn also has the right to receive 50% of the gross proceeds received by David Portnoy in any subsequent sale or other monetization event of Barstool. Now, let me tell you exactly what happened here, or what I think happened. I think that Penn said, this deal's not going nearly as well as we thought. The numbers aren't great. We're having to babysit them. We want to go work with ESPN. They approached ESPN. ESPN said, here's what we want to do. Penn then went back to Barstool, and Barstool had all the leverage in the world and said, here, this is what we want. That's what I think happened. And you literally couldn't draw more leverage. Maybe it didn't happen in that sequence of events. Who knows? Who cares? But at the end of the day, this sentence reads like David Portnoy is getting back 100% of his business for no fee, right? It says in exchange for, and then it lists two to three to four things that he has to do. Not a single one of those talks about money today. No payment, nothing. And to me, this makes a lot of sense, right? People say, oh, Portnoy is a genius. He's the best you know, stock trader of all time. This is a 4D chess move from a business perspective. He's a great operator, all this stuff. It's a good deal for Portnoy. I agree. I think it's a great deal for Barstool. But I also think it makes sense for Penn, right? Like if this deal isn't working and you've already sunk $500 million into it, you at least got three years of marketing expenses out of it. Maybe you feel like you've already exhausted the brand to some degree. Then you give it back to Portnoy. But you take away, from a non-compete perspective, you take away his ability to work with gambling companies. So everyone on Barstool, all their fan base that signed up for Barstool Sportsbook, it's simply just going to convert to ESPN Bet at this point. Maybe they go sign up and, and start bonus chasing on FanDuel or DraftKings or somewhere else. That's certainly possible. But even if they retain a percentage of that, it's going to be worth it from a marketing perspective to go do this deal with ESPN if you think it's that much more lucrative and that much better. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Now, there's some nuance to this that I think is important to discuss. The non-compete sentence is important because if you look at Barstool as a whole, they're not going to be able to go open another sports book. They're probably not going to be allowed to work with other gambling companies for at least some duration or period of time, whether that's a year, 10 years, 20 years, forever. Who knows? But my guess is that that was a pretty strict component of the agreement. And Barstool, it's a pretty big business. Before they got acquired by Penn, they were doing about $200 million in annual revenue, and they were profitable. Now, obviously, the most of that uh, money was coming through sponsorships, and the largest category of that sponsorships was probably gambling operators, given their audience and how much those places are willing to pay on a CPM basis. 
But even without that, it's still a pretty big business to get back for nothing, considering you just made $500 million on the sale. So if you listen closely to Portnoy's video announcing that he's buying back the business, you'll hear a couple of things. And I think it's important to slow down that conversation. One thing that he says that's very important is he talks very, 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 very highly of Penn. He says, we wish them the best of luck. We had a great time with them. It just didn't work out. We, you know, we, we saw it was a little bit more difficult than we initially realized on the regulatory front. Penn was great. We loved Jay. We loved the whole board. We loved the whole team. We wish them nothing but the best. My guess is that that was part of the restrictive covenants. He can't go and badmouth Penn. That's just a guess, a hunch, a thought. But my guess is that's what's happening there. He may really believe those things. He may not. Who knows? But part of it is probably that he isn't allowed to badmouth Penn in some regard. The second thing that was important in that speech that he gave was that he clearly stated, I will never sell Penn. I think he said that he'll die with it or something like that, right? He said, I'm never going to sell Penn. He made it very clear in the speech that he would never sell Penn. And that's important because if you look at the press release, it says in the filing that Penn would have the right to receive 50% of the gross proceeds received by David Portnoy in any subsequent sale. So he gets 100% of the business back. Say they're still doing $200 million in annual revenue. They're profitable. It's a great business. If some other company comes around and tries to buy them for five, six, seven hundred million dollars million, he can't do it. Or he can, but he owes 50% back to Penn, right? So part of that was him saying, hey, look, I'm never going to sell this thing. The other interesting part about this sentence to me was that the, it ended with the idea that it said subsequent sale or other monetization events, right? So Penn has the right to receive 50% of any monetization events of Barstool. So we don't know what this necessarily means. I'm assuming the paperwork is super, super, super detailed. My guess is it probably means that if he was to take distributions from the business, Penn would be entitled to 50% of that. My guess is that if he was to take an investment, Penn might be entitled to some, some amount of that. But that doesn't mean that Portnoy can't take an outlandish salary, right? Like there's a million different ways that he could probably suck money out of this business if he really wanted to. But my guess is they're going to be running a pretty lean shop Penn was probably financing a lot of the growth that they've had over the last few years. And maybe they have to lay off some people or turn things down for a period of time. But running a media company at this size, I mean, he's got hundreds of employees at this point, is extremely, extremely, extremely difficult. And someone on Twitter actually made a funny comment. They said, the best part about this deal is that Dave Pornoy won't be able to sell and will be forced to run a profitable media large-scale company for a long time, right? Because, and the joke is, it's just so difficult to do. No one does it. What they do is they, they, they build these businesses up and then they go sell them. And that's what Portman did at the beginning. Other companies have done that too. And now he's going to be forced to run it sustainably and profitable or sell it and lose 50% of the outcome. Now, look, I would argue that even if he sells it, it's not a bad deal because the company made $500 million when they sold the first time. He obviously didn't own all of it at that point. He only owned a small percentage. But Chernin and all the other guys that made money, they're super happy, of course. And then Penn stock is up you know, 15, 20% this morning. And he made millions of dollars on that, right? So the stock is still down tremendously. I think it's all-time high was 120 or 130 a couple of years back. And if I look now, it is in, it's at $24 today right now, or at closing yesterday. So even if it opens up, you know, in the low 30s or something like that, it's still down tremendously from its all-time high. But Portnoy made money. All the other shareholders made money. He says he's not going to sell it. I take him at his word. But I think the important thing to remember here is that Barstool is still a big business. When they were acquired for $550 million in the last sale, they were doing about $200 million in annual revenue. They had 500 employees, 200 million social media followers, and 100 shows, including podcasts, live events, and pay-per-view events. 
So this is, you know, obviously a big deal for Portner to be able to get his business back 100% ownership stake for essentially nothing, right? If he doesn't ever sell and he doesn't take distributions or anything else like that, if he doesn't break the non-competes and if he doesn't bad talk the brand or break any of the other covenants, he owns 100% of the business and he can go make a bunch of money doing what he does best, which is creating content on the internet and not selling bets. So again, I think that's an important piece of it. The third thing I would say about this deal is that it sheds a little bit of light on the Pat McAfee situation at ESPN. We've all seen what's happened the last few weeks. ESPN has fired numerous employees, big time employees, everyone on the NBA crew, to NFL insiders, to you know broadcast people, to ESPN or Sports Center people, anchors, stuff like that. Tons of people have been fired. A lot of people have been laid off. It's been, quite frankly, a sad time. And there's been this kind of like weird thing in the air happening where Pat had just been hired from, from doing his own show to go work at ESPN. He's going to do a daily show there. And there was being numbers thrown around, tens of millions of dollars that he was going to be paid by ESPN annually. So there was like this weird thing in the air. And now it makes a lot more sense, right? If it was kind of on the horizon that ESPN was going to be doing a sports betting deal, who better? Literally name one better person that you would want than Pat McAfee in that seat. I don't know, right? We know that FanDuel was paying up $40 million a year, $40 million a year to get them signups. Now, there's rumors that FanDuel might not have been happy with the deal at the end. Who knows if that's true? But they worked with Pat for several years leading up before they signed that deal. So they obviously saw that there was a lot of, a lot of value in a partnership with him. They went and they extended it, signed it for $40 million annually. If you just back that out and say, what, Pat's audience has grown, maybe it's worth $50 million a year now, that's a third of the $150 million annual fee that they're going to pay them in cash, right? So you're getting Pat, you're getting the programming, you're getting the the, the live uh, sports rights, you're getting the digital impressions, you're getting all the distribution, right? This is a pretty good deal, it seems like, for Penn. It seems like a good deal for Barstool, and it now makes a lot of sense why they brought over Pat McAfee. I've also heard from other people that ESPN has been asking around other talent or contributors to the network, how comfortable they are talking about sports betting stuff, talking about odds on air and other things like that. So my guess is, hate it or love it, you're going to start to see a lot more of that talk start to infiltrate the daily shows, the the in-game broadcast, the morning shows, whatever it is. You're going to see a lot more of that on their website. You're going to see a lot more of it on social media. This is a full-scale partnership. It's going to be huge, and Penn is certainly going to try to make sure they get their money's worth. The fourth thing I'll say about this deal is that it creates a little bit of a gray cloud around the market share for sportsbooks going forward. And it looks like the market share is probably going to be a little bit more fluid than we might have thought initially. Everyone knows FanDuel is number one, DraftKings number two. These are the big players. You got BetMGM, you got some other ones in there too. But FanDuel, DraftKings, the big players in the US. Fanatics is coming up, right? We all know Michael Rubin and Fanatics. They're taking the world by storm. They basically built huge businesses across memorabilia, across obviously the the clothing and apparel. They built huge businesses in, in trading cards, basically everything else you could imagine. But now they're going to do a sports book. They're going to be launching this fall in a bunch of states. They claim that they have a database of 100 million plus customers that have bought clothing from them. And they're going to be able to infiltrate them and lower their customer acquisition costs and get them to sign up to be determined if that works. But they are going to be a major player just based on the amount of money that they're going to be spending to go do this. So that gives another major player in the market. And now you have ESPN Bet, which, you know, given Penn's track record with Barstool, I think some people are going to dismiss this and say it's not worthy. You know, it's not going to be as big as other people think. This is ESPN we're talking about. ESPN. A lot of people like to give ESPN shit. 
I think ESPN does a lot of things wrong. I think they're, you know, really late to the creator movement. They're now trying to build personalities on their show. We'll see if it works. They miss the opportunity when it comes to building their own sports book. They've done some bad things on the streaming side. They've missed opportunities in the kind of original content series side. There's a bunch of things that you can complain about with ESPN, but ESPN is undoubtedly the number one person to partner with if you're going to build a sports book from a marketing perspective. It's not even close. For all the things that I mentioned before, the simple size and the scale and the distribution and their ability to infiltrate and add you to different things that they're doing, it's absolutely amazing. And it's the number one reason why some of the world's most up and coming, what we'll call sports leagues and sports properties, they'll rather take a deal with ESPN than more money from another network. And it's simply because of the distribution that ESPN offers. So that's going to be huge for Penn. And I think what we're going to find is now we're going to have three to four to five sports books that are vying for that number one or number two position versus just one or two or three. And what ends up coming out of that is like, you know, maybe FanDuel loses a little bit of market share. Maybe DraftKings gives some up. Maybe we see a little bit more M&A on the, uh, on the smaller sports books. It, it eliminates some of them. We obviously just saw Fox bet close down. But the market share is going to be more fluid when it comes to sports books in the United States. And more importantly, marketing costs are not going to be slowing down anytime soon. Right. If you have FanDuel spending a bunch of money and DraftKings spending a bunch of money as they enter new markets, what's going to happen when Fanatics adds to that? And what's going to happen when ESPN Bet adds to that? It's going to make them double or triple their marketing spend in these areas to grab as many people as possible when new states launch. Penn and ESPN Bet are only going to be live at 16 to start, but it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. One of the things to keep an eye on, too, is they're obviously going to want to get into New York. And Connecticut too. ESPN's headquarters in Connecticut. If they're going to allow their talent to bet on games and talk about it on air or on social media, you got to be live in Connecticut. So that's something to keep an eye on too. To be determined if ESPN actually goes and allows that. There's obviously some complexities around journalistic integrity and integrity around the the kind of content that they're producing in general. But something to keep an eye on. And last but not least, the fifth thing I would say on this is more sports books is not necessarily a good thing. Now, this is a little bit of a taboo subject and no one really wants to talk about it because there's so much money coming into the space, especially for someone like me or someone who's creating content at the intersection of sports and anything else. There is so much money being thrown at people from a sports book perspective and deals are flying left and right and everyone wants to be able to grab as many customers as possible as early as possible. That it's become a little bit naive to say, or, or people are scared to say, I would say to some degree, that Sportsbooks need to slow down a little bit, right? If you look at what's happened in the United States since PASPA was repealed in 2018, it has been an absolute rush, rush. There are billions of dollars spent on sports every single year. This is a huge, huge, huge market, $20 billion, $30 billion plus market. Millions of people are betting on games every single day. And it's become something where like, you know, when I was in my low 20s and I went to work, it was like taboo to talk about this stuff. It wasn't legalized. And people were certainly doing it. A lot of guys were doing it that I knew. But at the end of the day, you weren't talking about it with people at work. You wouldn't talk about it with even some of your friends, right? It was like one of these things that was kind of like secret. And now you can walk into virtually every office in America, any friend group, anyone you're talking to, strangers, and they'll talk about betting on sports. They'll pull up their FanDuel app or their DraftKings app. It's become something that is totally mainstream at this point, and it's only getting stronger. ESPN's now going to be talking about it every day on the largest sports channel in the U.S., it's going to be infiltrated within NFL games, MLB games, NBA games, et cetera. And it's going to be something that you cannot walk away from. Now, the thing to keep in mind here is that gambling addiction is real. It's 100% real. 
if you look at what's happening in Europe, my main concern around this is that the US is going one way while Europe is retreating the other way. And Europe had a, a multi-decade head start on this, right, from a sports gambling perspective. And what they found is by making this such a lucrative market and, and capitalism taking over, what happened was so many people became addicted to sports gambling that it became a huge problem. So now they're headed in reverse. There's huge policies and regulation being implemented across Europe for people to be aware of the dangers of sports gambling. There's things like the Premier League teams. You can no longer have sports gambling partners on the front of your jersey from a sponsorship perspective. So they're trying to do a bunch of different things. Those are obviously just two small examples, but they're trying to do a, a few different things to get people to realize the dangers of sports gambling. And people in the United States can claim, hey, look, we give warnings. We put them at the end of the commercials. We tell you about kind of risk associated with losing money. We give you the hotline number to call people if you if you have a problem. But I just think people need to slow down a little bit. More sports books is not necessarily a good thing. I understand people want to make money. I understand capitalism is going to take over and things are going to shake out how they can. But at the end of the day, the truth is that there are more than enough sports books located in states where it's legal for you to go place a bet on. And we don't necessarily need any more. That's just my two cents, though. Everyone is free and able to go do what they want. I just think we need to be a little bit more careful than we probably are right now. That's it for today, though. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It's obviously an exciting time in the world of sports business. I'll keep you guys updated here on this feed with anything else that comes up on these topics. Please do me a favor, rate and review the show on Apple, on Spotify, on Google, wherever you're listening to this podcast, and make sure you share with a friend. Thanks. Have a great day, and we'll talk later this week.